Welcome everybody to Sharpen That Axe, different phrasing there, a podcast dedicated <laughs> to strengthening your skills as a guitar player. Uh, my name is Dylan, with me as always is my co-host John. John, how are you in one word? All right. Great. Yay. There we go. <laughs> Good hustle. No, it, looked like, it looked like you were going to jump into song there for a second. Holy cow. Yeah, this isn't, I could, this isn't a musical uh, podcast. I mean, I guess it's intro. musical, it's just not about musicals. It's not, not yet anyway. Yeah. Uh, no, we, I hope not. <laughs> um, I, 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 Fiddler on the Roof, crazy, no? Uh, is that a musical? Probably. Uh, it does have a musician so. in the title. Uh, I'm going insane. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, we have a, a, a jam-packed show. John, I'll explain why I'm rambling. I, I ramble every episode, but this is, this is, I'll explain it, because I've listened to Prince for almost 24 hours trying to figure stuff out in terms of trying to convince you that he does, he deserves a higher place on the Rolling Stone list of the hundred greatest guitarists ever. So, but before we get to that, where that was he again a, on the, on the thir- list? Number 33. 33. Too low. I say, uh, too, uh, maybe about right. I okay. okay. Maybe, maybe too yeah. high, but minimum of maybe about right. Depends on how we count it. Okay, we'll get into it. Uh, all right, all right. My, my, okay. my brain has gone bright purple with how much Prince I've listened to in the last 24 hours. But first, but first. Uh, new listeners uh, or and old listeners, just to refresh, we every week we do a lick of the week, which is a riff or a solo, or it's not just a lick uh, from from you know the world of guitar, and the other person has to guess who it is, and then we explain why we chose it so this week it was john and john's licks have been pretty much like a chronological in a order for the last you know few episodes yes what was the last yeah. one come on, come on. uh it was miserlu by dick Dale. ah yes classic yeah. surf rock yes Excellent. exactly so, uh, so it's I, I've, uh that one's a little bit after this one but in terms of kind of evolution of sound i think it it comes and we can think about it as before we'll we'll get into that so this is super important like you'll know it before you even hear the second note everybody should know this one even my okay. wife knows this one so <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a humble brag there okay you have a wife well done and um, yeah. well, very impressed <laughs> over here john cool <laughs> so uh let's try and keep it professional all right keep our personal lives out of this and uh, okay cool Without further ado, I shall play this lick, and it shall sound like this. Cool. Okay. Uh, it's a, not Creep by Radiohead. I know that's not. what you were going to guess, but it's not it. That's a so little I'll bit give you, I'll, I'll give you one more guess. Cool. Well, that that is... Uh, <laughs> I can't get no other guesses. This is uh, Satisfaction by top five guitarists of all time, runner-up, yeah. uh, <laughs> Keith Richards. Uh, and I wish I could tell who was the second guitarist at this stage. Was it Brian Jones? I think it was Brian Jones. Was it who was the second guitarist? Yeah, at this stage? I think that's correct. I think that's correct. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, okay, cool. Um, Please correct us choice. if we are wrong. But <laughs> Yes, we, which we... 
are 90% of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So I'm just, I'm going to tell you what I think of this. I always, I, this sounded so much like, I don't know if it's the effects at the time, but I always, mm. for the first few times I heard this, I always thought this was like a horn, like a sax or a, tr- a trumpet. Oh, that's really interesting. We'll get yeah. into why, but go ahead. Cool. Yeah, because the effect is on it. What year is this song? This is 1965. Okay, wow. All right, so yeah, effects were very, uh, uh, yeah, very rudimentary at this at this stage. Yes, so, but it's very important with what he's doing, and it's interesting that you say that. So um, I don't know. Should should I jump into it, or I'll, I'll let you continue here a little bit? Yeah, no, I always thought like it's a very, you know, it's one of the first. I mean, we talked about you got you really got me a few weeks ago, and that mm-hmm. how that's one of the first riffs, and this is always up there as well for me in terms of like what are the earliest guitar riffs and you know it's this and miserly which i suppose was a couple of years later and i always what it was intrigued me and this is just from a really this is a little bit of a tangent but i always wondered why the bass didn't double it the bass is playing kind of like a like a, a higher register riff i think it's like harmonizing with what the guitar is doing it, it's doing something completely different to what the actual main riff is and yeah it's just it's just a, a, a weird one but it's it's a it's a it's great. It drives the song. It's very hummable. Um, it goes. It it kind of matches the energy of the the vocal performance. Yeah, I uh, I dig it. I, I dig Keith. I'm I'm glad he's still alive. Very surprised, but glad. Um, so, why did you pick it? <laughs> okay, I think there's so there's several things. First, correction: Miserlu was 1962. Ah. So yeah, and then after that, we had "You Really Got Me," which was 1964. Um, and of course, what happened was you really got me. Everybody points to that as kind of the big, the big one to look at for distortion because okay. this was uh, Dave Davies essentially slicing that speaker in his little small, you know, twelve-inch amplifier. Might have even been more like a ten or an eight. I can't remember. And then reamping through a larger amplifier through his big old box. And essentially treating that initial amplifier like a distortion pedal. Wow. Okay. Um, so that's that's really the first distortion we have. And then in 1964, we talked about this just recently with the distortion versus overdrive, right? And we just touched on fuzz because fuzz really falls into that category of distortion, but it's its own separate category and has its own history. Um, and 1964 is the introduction of the fuzz pedal because of a broken channel strip on okay. a marty robbins tune um and then kind of the first major use of a fuzz pedal was the ventures 200 pound b this was also in 1964 love that love the name of the song right like that's just of course when you when you think of a fuzz pedal that makes so much sense so however this is not about the ventures and this is not specifically about the fuzz pedal but keith richards chose the fuzz pedal because they have uh gibson was marketing their fuzz pedal as having a brassy or a glassy sound and so in his Mm. mind he had initially written this riff um or well i shouldn't say he he wrote it with this in mind he and mick jagger had in mind that this would eventually be replaced by a horn part so it's interesting that you say ah. he had, it sounds like a saxophone line. In his, in his mind, as they were going through production, 
this that sound that we hear now that is so iconic to the evolution of guitar in keith richard's mind was going to be a horn line okay which is really weird to think about i mean imagine like we rock history would be in such a different place this song would be so different if that was the case, the the producers essentially overruled both him and Mick Jagger, and thank God for that because, yeah, it's... I mean, can you imagine? It's it's really weird. He wrote this in his sleep, which was also kind of interesting. And and what's meant by that? Like, how do you write a song in your sleep? He had purchased a tape deck, tape recorder, reel to reel that he kept by his bed, and one morning he woke up and he looked at it. And realized all the tape was on the wrong side and okay. rethreaded it, played it back. And he said, there's, there, there was a section there of him playing the riff about five times and just repeating the refrain, refrain. I can't get no satisfaction. And that was it. And then after that, he says, there's 40 minutes of snoring. On that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was the birth of this riff. And it was just on an acoustic guitar. And then, as I mentioned, this Gibson fuzz pedal, which the fuzz pedal, I think it's because you brought up the effects, this changed, this changed the way people thought about how their guitar would sound. Uh, okay. This influenced Eric Clapton, uh, Jimi yeah. Hendrix, uh, obviously, in that article, Nils Lofgren, or in the Rolling Stone article, N mm. Nils Lofgren talks about it, right? Like, all of these things start coming into play. But he chose it just because he was like, this is going to make it sound more like a horn section. Um, and instead, we wind up with this lick and this effect, this sound that becomes kind of the sound of that psychedelic garage rock yeah. 60s band mm -hmm. and that that uh mick jagger's voice fits perfectly over this like it's not soothing it's not he's not crooning you know it, it, when you think of a horn line you start thinking like tom jones and trying yeah. to imagine mick jagger crooning is just like sounds awful but this 1965 i think really sets rock and roll in motion and you've got you know the kinks kind of pushing that as well um between the two of them just really transforming what we think of as rock and roll it's no longer elvis it's no longer surf rock and those other things that we've covered it's not just blues based now it's got this like gritty edge to it yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's because it's in terms of yeah it's it's it is that grit. It is that, you know, it's funny you mentioned Clapton because <clears throat> when I think of FX around that era, you know, I think of like the, the, the cream kind of overdriven sound, you know, you've got the Hendrix overdrive mm -hmm. as well with the, the fuzz was a massive part of his sound. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it really does come back to Keith and, and you, in terms of like gear, you don't think of him as being an innovator at all. He's a very much a meat and potatoes player, mm -hmm. but yeah, it, it's funny, like that single note riff, yeah it, yeah, it was very much the birth. I mean, like even you really got me is is like it's a chord, it's a power chord. Yes. But it's it's the the fact that it's a single note riff, it's beefed up by the effects that's used to kind of create this something that's completely different sonically. Um yeah, great choice. Yeah, I feel like that's that's a perfect way to say it. This is also <laughs> you don't think of Keith as much of an innovator. You also don't think of Gibson as much of an innovator either. 
but that it was after this they sold out of all of their stock of their pedals inside of a month wow okay yeah they they had to put everything on back order for these fuzz pedals like again this is i guess this is back when gibson could be innovative so maybe you should look at <laughs> one your of us had to say it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we can't we can't go too long without bashing gibson that's like, it yeah on. we have to get a little sly dig in there yeah, exactly uh, love it have you any other like favorite rolling stones kind of guitar moments that spring to mind or you know i, I think everybody you, you you have to point to the paint it black riff I think that's that's, that's something that's pretty iconic. You also have to look at um, when you think of "Give Me Shelter," kind of that solo. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting, "Give Me Shelter" is a huge or huge production. Like when yeah. you think about the vocal stuff and everything else that's going on, and, and the time period that it happens in for the genre that it happens in. Obviously, again, you have somebody like Tom Jones crooning at this time with a 35 piece band behind him and yeah. that's not what we're talking about but it's uh, in terms of rock and roll in terms of multiple tracks um this I, I think shelter is one of those tunes that just really stands out as having a lot of just raw emotion to it but mm. in a very different way than satisfaction which is kind of a cool it's it's shows the the depth that the rolling stones would kind of dive into the rhythm and blues world yes yeah that's absolutely. probably a good way to put it very much wearing their influences on their sleeves yeah in, which i think is one of the things that always drew me to the rolling stones when it came to rolling stones or beatles i remember this lick in particular i wouldn't say the first time i heard it but the first time i realized like wow this thing really moves this thing has an energy to it and it's probably one of the earliest things I heard that just made me go, wow, the guitar is really cool. Look what it sounds yeah. like. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Wow. 64, you said? 65. 65, yeah. Wow. Okay, yeah. Really, um, yeah, a real trendsetter, I suppose, in terms of, of things to come. Um, class, great choice. Yeah, I, I love uh, Exile on the Main Street is a one of my favorite albums. Uh, like, mm. I don't like as far as double albums go. I'm not a big fan of the the format, but I, I love that album, and I love all of the stuff Mick Taylor did as well in terms of like the little slide accents and yeah. his lead playing is just it's great. It's really, really fits of what they're doing. And I think a lot of it as well, a lot of what I love about what the Rolling Stones do actually is what Charlie Watts is doing as a drummer. I think he's a really, he's, he's just so in the pocket and he's, yeah, he just, he really is the driving force, I think, behind a lot of what they're doing. And he's just cool. He's just a, a cool guy. Um, sweet. <laughs> okay. Nice. So we, we uh, new listeners, old listeners, we discussed um uh both my grandmothers um we discussed the rolling stones uh sorry the rolling stone the list of the 100 greatest guitar players uh which was recently uh re revived restructured uh last year i believe and yeah it's uh so we discussed it in depth through a like through a stream and through an actual episode and prince was a figure that came up uh, in, in both conversations, I believe. Mm-hmm. And at number 33, it's it's a very safe place to put him in, I think, because I, I think in terms of... he, It's, it's very hard to... Hmm, 
in terms of comparing him to other guitar players, I think he's, you, it's very, it's something that's very easy to do, but he was also a very uh, singular figure in terms of his use of the guitar. And I'm here to explain why and what makes him such a good player and why I personally would put him higher on the list in terms of maybe like I don't know I I think in terms of what he did for the guitar and how he used it as a tool and that's a big thing that I'm going to come back because when we think of Prince we think of him as like a singer and a songwriter and an arranger but we don't really Mm. think of him as a guitar player and I think that it's because of his use of the guitar within those different uh, other areas that really is kind of what separates him from other musicians. Um, so I suppose we'll start off. The, the moment that I realized that Prince was a guitar god uh, is the song Fury, which he did on SNL. So if you want to cue that one up there. Uh, this was on SNL in 2006, uh, I believe on the 3121 tour or the guitar. He released uh, an album called Guitar um it's it's the tour and it's like steve martin is introducing him and i remember i don't know how i found this but i i think i saw it like the week after mm-hmm. on like some kind of quick time file or something when i was looking through music and because it was 2006 yeah because yeah. <laughs> it was 2006 yeah remember yeah. quick time files yeah. and i remember just being like blown away by just the showmanship of it. If you can look it up, I think I think they took it off. This was so hard to find for ages because Prince was notorious with his... He, Prince's whole thing was control. He did mm. not like people listening to his music for free. He was totally against Spotify for years. There were very few clips on YouTube. Um, one of my favorite stories about this, I mean, this is going to be like Prince's career, this my defense of Prince as a guitar player is going to be full of massive tangents that just don't go anywhere. But I want to mention that in terms of Prince's creative control, one of my favorite stories is Prince covered the song Creep by Radiohead. Uh, He opened his Coachella set, I think it was 2009, 2010, maybe a little bit later. He opened with Creep and someone, you know, it was professionally shot and somebody put it on YouTube and he immediately flagged it and took it down. And then Radiohead were like, Radiohead were like, actually, because he'd do that with everything. Every footage Mm -hmm. that went up, I'd imagine like if you clicked upload on a Prince song to YouTube, my, I imagine that the next thing you hear is a knock on the door and there's loads of lawyers in purple suits threatening to sue your ass. (laughs) Um, But the thing is when when, when it was taken down, Radiohead contested like, no, it's our song, put it back up. And for ages, it was the only Prince live video on YouTube because it wasn't his song. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great performance as well. I mean, it's such a, you know, it, what's the point in covering it? And yet he does a great job because he's Prince. So if you want to play Fury, and then we'll discuss a little bit. Okay, here we go. There ain't no fury like a woman Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I, I, I'm going somewhere with this, right? So it's a very, that's just, so this is, <laughs> this song is like a, a, a big, uh, it, it's basically like a guitar song with little vocal breaks in between. Hmm. There is like, it's, it's something that I remember seeing him do that with his Charvel uh, Strat with the whammy bar and just being blown away by just the, how effortless he made 
that sort of guitar playing look. And this is when, like, for ages, I'd just been listening to Nirvana and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And that this was like, oh, my God, okay, this is like showmanship. Mm-hmm. So I suppose where we go from here is like, this is Prince later in his career. So I'm going to hand it over to you for a minute, John. When you think of Prince as a guitar player, are there any specific terms or phrases or songs that come into your head when you think of him and his guitar playing ability? Uh, to be honest, I think I struggle a little bit with that because I think of most of his early career stuff, which we've mm-hmm. talked a little bit about in the past. And, you know, I think I think we'll probably get to this, but something like Let's Go Crazy. Yes. Has, okay. has you know, I, I think it's Let's Go Crazy has that outro, mm-hmm. right? That's yes. just like, okay, I'm just going to go. And it's just shred until the producer fades out, right? Um that's so I think of some of those moments but that's actually much later and I in my in my understanding of him that's later in my understanding um he the 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 performance of him which everybody sees right where he's out there on stage with Tom Petty and all the other guys right shreds on the telecaster and throws it into the air and walks away Mm -hmm. um that was probably on while my guitar gently weeps that was probably that was that was the moment where i went okay maybe there's more to him as a player than i have always thought so that's that's kind of my that moment right there was the first thing and then after that kind of going back through and when he died sort of listening to some of his back catalog and going okay like but i i think i'm not really able to articulate a whole lot of great moments or why I would consider him a great guitar player. Okay, cool. So there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, thank you very much. That's, 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 that's given me a few jumping off points to go from. So let's talk about the, no, let's talk about that performance because that's from, uh, so that's from a 2004 performance. Uh, this is now, <laughs> I think we've both discuss, discussed before our uh, mixed feelings on the rock and roll hall of fame. Mm-hmm. and what is involved with that and the inductees that the whole um the gray area of what qualifies to getting in it's it's a, it's a, it's a big minefield which we're not going to go down through today but prince was essentially being inducted the same day as george harrison and uh you know the whole structure of it is people will go up and they'll play their biggest hits or they'll you know if they're not around they'll have uh you know if if they're maybe deceased other artists will play their biggest hits. And uh, George Harrison, you know, he was basically being, the tribute was being paid by Jeff Lynne and Tom Petty and George Harrison's son Danny was there. And there's a few different stories about like what actually happened in terms of it. Like Tom Petty's guitar player was ready to play all the licks, you know, because the original solo on While My Gatendley Guitar Gently Weeps was originally played by Eric Clapton uh, on the the White Album, you know, because it's a deep cut mm-hmm. originally. Like it's not a, it wasn't a number one or anything. It was just, you know, it, it was just a, an album track. And then Prince kind of showed up and was like, he was he was just asked beforehand, would he do it? And he like because he knew the song, he knew the chords, he knew everything. You know, he's he's a, very much a musical savant. Mm-hmm. And when I asked people to t- tell me like, what's your favorite Prince guitar moment on the uh, Instagram 
profile everybody said this like this is like a game changing yeah. performance because he's able to capture the energy and the feel of the original Clapton solo and just take it to another level you can tell like they were probably planning on playing the song maybe cutting it off at the five minute mark and he just keeps on going because there's such energy on stage and he knows what he's doing and it's it's pretty much all like pentatonic stuff like yeah. he's got yeah. some octaves thrown in there really like a lot of trills a lot of like big bends that match the you know orgasmic look on his face and it's just amazing and then like he he throws the guitar into the crowd at the end he leans back onto the crowd <laughs> uh, onto yeah. the bouncer when playing guitar very spinal tap and then he throws the guitar into the the crowd and you know the drummer steve Farone said that he never saw it come down he still doesn't know like he said it's it still hasn't come down <laughs> and like it's 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 this it's this big thing and you know everybody can look it up everybody's seen it it was i think one of the most shared videos on you know the day that he died in 2016 so let's go back to let's get crazy so i remember so this is a really interesting i'm so glad you mentioned it because this is another one of those moments where like okay this is like another level of guitar playing especially because so let's go crazy is off purple rain and purple rain itself is such a, a, a an accomplishment because prince had the number one single number one album and number one film because he was the star of a film called purple rain um the number one in all these brackets at the same time, which had mm-hmm. only been done by the Beatles before with the Hard Day's Night, um, in terms of like track. <laughs> I think Spinal Tap did it as well at one point. I think they had like the number one album and number one, like number one soundtrack and number one film. But beside the point, we've mentioned Spinal Tap way too much. And <laughs> you can never let, mention too much Spinal Tap. No, and, and like Let's Get Crazy is an album opener. Like it's just it just has so much going on. It's so energetic. It's you know, it's the opener for Purple Rain and it has like two guitar solos. The first one is just him. It, it's just ah, oh, it's 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 such a great thing, but the second guitar solo which comes at the very end, let's just play it cuz words 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 fail me whenever I hear it. Huh, okay. Okay, yeah. so yeah, it's 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 shred. So this is like nineteen eighty four shred. So you have to realize that this is like from this is like Purple Rain is a pop album. It's a pop concept album that goes with the film. But mm. this these are songs that topped the charts. Like Purple Rain, the song, which ends with a two minute guitar solo is you know this wasn't done in pop music at this time the biggest song before purple rain came out was like number one duran duran were number one in the charts like this was yeah. yacht rock kind of you know this yeah. is a, a totally totally different type of 80s and then prince kind of came down and just blew everyone away with this really guitar heavy album and was able to like this is how the first song on the album finishes with a big masturbatory guitar solo and it's just it's just incredible he's just showing what he can do and 
if you look up live recordings from this time, he does that at the end of every every time they play the song. He will do something very similar to that. It's not just like a studio freak occurrence. It's the wah, mm-hmm. it's the pentatonic shredding, it's the alternate picking. It's just, it wasn't like anything you get. You'd maybe find it on a metal album around this time, but not in a pop album. Yeah. So... So I suppose where to go from this, because I have so many notes and I suppose we should go down to influences because Prince was a, he, he was a big, like big Nile Rogers guy. He mm-hmm. was, you know, in terms of like the funk strumming, but also he was, he, he was compared to Hendrix a lot and he didn't like this. He said that a lot of it was because because you know they were both black he said that was Mm -hmm. like the only comparison that's where it ended he said that you know in he did a 1985 interview with rolling stone just after purple rain came out and he said that he was much more influenced by santana as a lead player than hendrix which is you know the more you listen to you're like you can kind of see it just in terms of like the phrasing um, so I suppose the phrasing, we'll come back to the influences in a bit, but the phrasing is a big thing that comes in. Prince wasn't a riff guy. Prince was a motif guy. And this is something that I've really kind of come to know. So the difference, I suppose, if I was to elaborate for people that wouldn't really know, is that a riff is like smells like teen spirit. It's something that's, it's a big, like usually a chordal, it's like satisfaction um you know it's it's a big kind of it's something that drives the song it kind of accentuates the song it's like walk this it's way a, you know you can yeah be- it's a short little phrase that's mm-hmm. it's kind of like a little hook it's not yes the hook i mean it might be i suppose it could be but it's it's mm-hmm. the it's the little quasi melodic phrase that you hear typically and i think we've talked about this right like uh, it would typically be something you'd think of on the lower three strings yes very, very well put. Thank you. It's kind of got more of a chunkier edge to it than, mm-hmm. say, something that would be higher. You wouldn't really get that many uh, riffs that are played on the higher strings. It's just not really done. So anyway, in, in Prince's guitar solos, motifs were a massive thing. He would take a phrase and he would repeat it over and over again. So it kind of gets stuck in your head. Purple Rain has this, the da 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 Like that was a big thing. And it was something that the crowd could sing along to. It was like this really, you know, it was a way of getting them to kind of interact with the guitar on like a different level. And so I suppose speaking of motifs and how we use them, I discovered on my, you know, my excavation of Prince's back catalogue, this song called Why You Wanna Treat Me So Bad. And this is off his second album, came out in 1979, I believe. What? Wow. Yes. And this this is, he was, he produced the whole album. I think he played every instrument and the dude was only 19. So you, have you heard this song before? No, I haven't. To be honest, like I don't ever think of Prince as like before 1984. Like, I just, I just don't. So I'm a little surprised about this. I'm super curious. Okay, cool. So if you want to, this is, this is my, one of my favorite Prince solos, because it's just the way he uses motifs and his playing. And just the fact that it was like 1979. um, He was so young as well doing it. So yeah, have a listen and we'll discuss afterwards.
Okay. So this is interesting. I'm going to comment on this real quick. This to me me. sounds really similar of, you know, like Toto's Hydra album, which was their second (laughs) album. Um, You know, this this sort of like this era of Toto sounds really similar. A lot of of like big sense. You can hear, as you said, motifs, a lot Mm -hmm. of that shreddy pentatonic playing. Prince, I never really thought about this, partly because he doesn't, he looks a little bit younger than a lot of his contemporaries, but his contemporaries include Steve Lukather. Yes. Um, as one of them. And, you know, it, this also has that sort of like journey sound to it as well. Exactly. You yeah. Know, this is, and when you think of Neil Schoen, like you can hear similar licks. Like these mm-hmm. guys are all roughly the same age. Mm-hmm. Lukather was born in 57. Prince was born in uh, 58. You know, Neil Schoen is right around there. He was born in 54. He's older of them. But like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's that sound. It's that late 70s, early 80s sound of just kind of this, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. Sort of this pop rock yeah it's it was, um, it was rock that cho- like it topped the pop charts that was really difficult to say but exactly yeah it it, it definitely is because lukather as we know um he played on all of michael jackson's yeah stuff and so he was like he was very much involved in the pop sound at that time mm-hmm. and that's a that's i'm great that, I'm, I'm really glad that you you pointed that out so yeah i i think you've got this idea this is like still very early in his career He's still figuring out. As a side note, please. All three of those guys super influenced by Santana. There you which go. Which is kind yeah. of interesting. Neil Schoen toured with Santana. He was the guy that at 19 got a call from Eric Clapton and Santana on the same day to wow. come do a tour. He okay. went with he went with Santana because Santana called first. But <laughs> So, but it's, yeah, you can hear it in all three of these guys playing, particularly from that period, how influential Santana is. Like, I struggle with Santana as a musician who over 40 years basically hasn't evolved at all. But you have to realize how influential he was at the time. And you can hear that in Prince's playing here. I'm blown away by this track. I have, I've never heard this before. This is amazing. So please continue. Okay, cool. So I'm going to hit you with one... (laughs) Um, one more track from this album. This is a song called Bambi, which I discovered. And this is when you look up Prince's best guitar moments. It was very much like me trying to figure out because he's got such an extensive back catalog. It was me trying to figure out what I what songs I really liked uh, to kind of showcase and what songs other people liked. And this was one that topped loads of other people's lists in terms of like his best guitar moments and if you listen to it i think one person one critic i saw this was the best uh riff that kiss never wrote and um <laughs> it was like should you wear that as a badge of honor um but this is from the same album this is a song called yeah so it's called bambi um prince was there's a really good performance of prince playing this like on the very early incarnation of the ellen show back in 2004 uh, he asked her he was basically like what song do you want to hear and she was like please play bambi so uh yeah it's it's a cool song um it's got a real late 70s sort of very thin guitar sound in terms of like a riff but yeah like i said wasn't a riff guy but when he was it, it was really interesting so yeah have a listen to bambi 
Wow. Okay. Again, like to me, this is early Toto. Yeah. Um, not to take anything away from Prince, no? but uh, we're, we also talked about fuzz today and boy, is that fuzzy. That is a yeah. fuzzy yeah, yeah, guitar yeah. tone. Like you just mm-hmm. imagine his guitar is covered in fur. Like it's that <laughs> fuzzy. Fascinating. Yeah, no, okay. Okay, cool. I think I'm winning you over here um, with this. So yeah, I, I suppose going through the other things as well um, in terms of like what makes him stand out as a player. Um, so it, it, it's very hard to describe how like his evolution because you this is 1979 the last two tracks we've listened to and then Purple Rain comes out in 84 and then he sort of adopted this persona of like this really he kind of moves into funk a little bit more here um, in like 1986 uh, kind of parade the parade era before it was like like we were talking about pop kind of disco infused pop rock music I mean you can tell from that album that I was just playing those songs from the his second album the songs are way too long like they're all like five six minutes long because this was the era when songs were really long because people just wanted to dance and Mm -hmm. you know or you'd you'd edit them for the radio but the album versions were always quite long so then after purple rain so it's 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 crazy how i mean after purple rain comes out the minute sorry the day after he finished the purple rain tour releases another album without any warning without any kind of press release or anything like that and it went straight to number one because it had raspberry beret on it and i think it was alphabet street i think uh yeah and then the next one is parade which is (laughs) prince released another uh film which is called under the cherry moon which i will not watch because it just it's just he's like i yeah, it's it it was slated by critics because he's like I am musical Jesus because the ego was there, but then again it was very much a who is better him or Michael Jackson and the ego really had to come out. Um, so yeah, let's move on to Kiss. So Kiss is a really really interesting. I mean, I, I had to include it. I didn't really want to, but I, I think I had to in terms of what it does for the guitar because Kiss was written for another band. And then Prince took it back and was like, no, no, I really like this. Um, but he released it. He released the demo. He released the demo as the full single. And, really? and the thing is, like, Kiss is the funkiest song you, you, you'll find that doesn't have any bass line on it. There's just an 808 and a few synths and just this guitar line. So if you want to play <laughs> the first one, uh, the first, I mean... So one thing I've come along, come across, sorry, I know I'm going on tangents here, but there is a Prince chord. There is a chord that if you play it in a certain way, it it's like Henry. Prince. It's something Prince. You, 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 <laughs> you look in the mirror and you play it three times. Um, but this, there's, there is, I think it's, I think I've seen it's like an 11th chord. But if you play it like with some sort of like a muted strumming thing, it sounds like Prince. And it also sounds like this if you want to play the first kiss. <laughs> sorry it's the it's always the the sort of the the kind of weak it's not a james brown uh, uh, yeah you yeah, know it's yeah. uh, <laughs> it's just <laughs> i have such a hard time with that oh i know i it's 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 like I, uh, after a chord like that i want to 
now get back come on like yeah i want james brown there but anyway what court is this <laughs> so yeah so a prince's court would be like an like an e7 um it's an e9 but essentially it has the seventh in the base uh, so okay okay yeah so but the thing is it's the way that it's used if you listen to that clip mm-hmm. it's this um he's got one song one he's basically did a little 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 playing it twice but one of it has a wah going down so it's it's just basically playing press slowly pressing the wah down or quickly pressing the wah down and creating sort of a filter effect going Mm -hmm. using the full sweep of the pedal and it's just such an if you play like it's just it's one chord but the way that it's played if you play that to anyone everybody knows what that is Mm -hmm. right and this is just and this is like masterful this was a number one hit and you have to consider as well there's just really minimal production the chorus is one of the best pop choruses of the 80s and it's it's just it's just the way the guitar was used it was like it doesn't have to be front and center it's just used here and the thing is like this is something that Nile Rodgers did in a lot of the chic stuff, the vocal mm. melody, the choruses were like, they were the main thing. The guitar was just used as like a tool to essentially kind of propel stuff or to accent. It's like, you know, the, the freak riff, you know, that's just essentially, it's just a syncopated riff um, with one or two chords, but it's the way that it's played really kind of drives the song along. And so it's it's this really like, using the top three top four strings with these kind of muted riffs is really if you if you play it like people are going to say it's not rogers or prince and mm-hmm. i mean you've got some like average white band there's a few other like players that you'd associate with that you know james brown as well and uh, but I, I think like prince really was a proponent of like a real like trendsetter with this sort of guitar playing so if you play the and i'll just show you what i mean if you play the other prince uh, the, the kiss clip okay okay so i have a few things to say here so it's this really syncopated kind of stagnant way plays now you listen to that those high strings are in the chorus they're propelling along it's just really really tight um rhythm playing like Nile rogers mm-hmm. and then you've got the song finishes with these it's like these really i think they're like kind of like a bit of a dorian funk tonality going with them if you play any of these chords by itself it doesn't really sound good but it's the way that it's it's the really thin motion with which he plays that it really kind of makes them pop and shine out and it's just it's a really interesting he puts it in the end of sign of the times as well just a few like really almost jazzy chords but it's just the way that they're played it really kind of pops out mm-hmm. and yeah so i suppose talking of the wow I'll, I'll kind of finish up here um with his use of effects is really interesting so yeah so if you listen to that purple rain chord like it's 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 kind of drenched in chorus like everybody knows what it is it's a really interesting way it just adds another layer so he was by no means a gearhead 
but it was the way that he used effects. Like he's, he's said in interviews that he will not spend six hours looking for a tone. It's the fact mm-hmm. that he has the ear that he can use effects to beef up his guitar sound. I mean, if you look at his pedal board, it's like something a 15-year-old would have. It's like four or five boss pedals. Yeah, it's not much. It's really minimalist. Yeah, and it's just how he uses it. I mean, his standard go-to guitar would be his Honer Telly, which would was fitted with, I think it was like Fender Noiseless, but it was single coils. It was like a Strat setup, mm-hmm. but in a Telly body, which is really interesting. And then he went straight into like a Mesa Boogie Mark Two B, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, which is like <laughs> a loud amp, like a a, a, yeah. a metal amp. And then he had like the Blues Driver, he had the DD3, not even the DD6, the DD3 delay, uh, the flanger. He even used like a Dan Electro pedal, like, you know, not top of the line gear. It was just how he used it mm-hmm. and just having that ear and a real, like, he, it's a re, he's a real advocate for you do not need top of the line gear. I mean, don't get me wrong, his guitar and amps were like pretty upmarket, but in terms of pedals, it was just about getting the right tone out of them. And he didn't need to spend a lot of time doing it. I think it's really interesting. He even used like a DS2, like turbo oh, distortion, really? wow. you know, uh, and, and a Dunlop Crybaby and a Dunlop Roto vibe. And like, that's it, you know? And it was just, it, which I think is a real signifier in that he didn't hide behind effects like some guitar players do. He didn't, you know, he was very much able to use it. The tone, a lot of the tone was in his fingers and a lot of like he had great vibrato, really great bending technique. His trills were off the charts, but it was his use of a chorus, a wah, and even the octaver. So this is where I want to finish. Um, we think of the like octaver, like uh, uh, distorted sound, the oct- driven octaver octave sound as mm-hmm. being like a Jack White thing. You know, Hendrix used it as well. But I think that the way that Prince used it, especially in the song that I'm about to play, um, it's just, it was just really, really ahead of the curve. Because that was something that was, you know, it, it's, it's almost like the fundamentals of what Queens of the Stone Age were doing like 20 years later or Jack White's right. really overdriven thing. So yeah, if you want to play When Doves Cry... Yeah, I think he moved to like a Digitech um, whammy harmonizer later. But what's weird about it is that pedal is incredibly popular. That pedal has like kept that company alive. I don't know if that's true. It just looks that way to me. Is this the whammy? Yeah, the it's the red one. It's a multiple harmonizer thing. And it's yeah, yeah. like even tied. So it's not loading. Hang on a sec. Um, Steve Bai used to have this rack mounted eventide and he would run two or three of them on tour and it was the eventide harmonizer and it's this big like it's two it's at least a two space unit in a rack that was doing all of this processing and then digitech came out with this this whammy pedal that allows you to do most of that harmonization stuff. Like the eventide stuff was crazy. And like I said, Mm. Vi would double chain it. And so he's like harmonizing the third from the previous unit, you know? So it's like some sort of weird harmonization. Yeah. Um, But the, the Digitech is like, Hey, you go up or down or, Oh wait, that's no, that's not the one I want. Ah. (laughs) 
This is being like really stupid on me right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying about the the octave there. Yeah, and the thing is, like, that's that's a hard riff to it's it's a hard lick to play. Apparently, when doves cry, when doves cry is a weird song. It's a weird pop song. It's the lyrics are that? weird. That's a great question. And so uh, a few reasons. It's got this really weird, almost kalimba esque. It's it's a weird. It, like it opens with that riff so that's mm-hmm. you're kind of setting the tone it's a really kind of scuzzy pentatonic minor it's almost like he doesn't he's not even thinking about what he's playing he's just like kind of following his intuition and then the guitar comes back later but it's not really there for the rest of the song it's like mm-hmm. a it's like a call to arms is like here i am i am prince and i'm going to put the guitar down now for the next three minutes and then i'm going to pick it up back at the end of the song but it's just it's like i think he wrote it or no he recorded it i think in like 20 hours or something wrote and recorded it 20 hours by himself played everything whoa and it's got a keyboard solo at the end it's just it's it's crazy like the man was a workhorse but it was the fact that he's like i want to capture people's attention so i'm going to do it through this fuzzy octave riff and i i don't know it's just it's something that you'd never get in pop music these days because it just doesn't come back it's not a motif it's just a really random piece of guitar shreddage that just never comes back and i really love the way that it's used i think it's just something that's it's really bold and really brave and he was just so confident in his ability to uh create these weird pop songs and then people ended up loving it really really interesting so yeah i suppose that kind of culminates everything that i really have to say i really I mean, like, it's really hard to, to dumb it down because the dude was making music until the day, like, you know, pretty much until when he died. And then, like, stuff from The Vault is now being released. He's famously had this massive vault of records that he just never put out and music videos. Mm-hmm. But what's, I mean, like, it was really, you know, I, I, I prefer not to speak much about his passing. But, you know, one of the, you know, one of the good things now is that we do get to enjoy all of his music very mm-hmm. easily it's all on spotify it's all on youtube now i mean the the big thing as well is the live performances we can see like how good he was now we can truly appreciate it now because for so long there was this massive you know do not enter sign in terms of being able to enjoy, enjoy his content and i think that that's a real you know that's something that he really struggled with was he was the creator and he was the gatekeeper for mm-hmm. enjoying all of his stuff and but that made it really difficult to enjoy because, you know, it was really hard to find. And yeah, I, I think, you know, him as a guitar player is just, it's just one facet of him as an artist. And he was very much like an artist through and through. And I, I don't know. I just love the way that his guitar playing, you know, it evolved. If you look at his later shows, it's just him shredding in every song because he could and because he loved doing it his yeah. love of the guitar is something that he talks about an awful lot he was in guitar world magazine he was in guitar player magazine he loved talking about it and using it you know in his music so um like you know in, in every aspect of his music and yeah i i suppose that's it um you know not a massive gearhead but use gear really well a really good rhythm player a really good lead player a really good live performer and yeah just you, his use of the guitar is something that it's it's very much 
that's a very singular thing. It's something that not a lot of people have been able to recreate. Oh my God, I've talking for like spoken for like 45 minutes. And, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, John, impressions, have I swayed you at all? Uh, I, let's see, to say swayed. I think, as I said at the outset, I had a respect for Prince as an artist. Um, and as a composer and arranger and certainly understanding based on what I'd seen, you know, like my, the, my, while my guitar gently weeps video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he is an, he's an accomplished guitarist. I think what you've done here has really opened my eyes to, um, even though he's primarily just a pentatonic player, not to disparage that, uh, nope. he's versatile in, in how he, uses the guitar and how he uses what he can do with it which i think is something i never really understood and this is so this has been enlightening this is not only those those ones from his earlier albums but then really going back and listening to the stuff that to be honest like i have a hard time listening to all of purple rain you know just i oh you know and songs (laughs) like raspberry beret are just kind of like they're just kind of cheesy like yeah to, to realize where all of those influences come from, whether it's Nile Rogers or it's Santana, there's, there's this, and, and I think you even hear things like the, the guitarists multiple from James Brown and you hear mm-hmm. um, guys like, I, I think you can pick out Eddie Hazel. And it's interesting people would say Jimi Hendrix because I don't, based on what we've talked about here, I don't really get that. Like, he's closer to somebody like uh, a Clapton, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, and then he, when the 80s hit, like he's trying to speed every, it's the race for speed, just like everybody else. And you can hear, I, I don't know if you hear the influence of Van Halen, maybe you do, but like I said, you can hear Neil Schoen, you can hear, mm-hmm. uh, Steve Lukather and I think he's listening to all of this other stuff like he's very much a different artist than all of those guys Uh, yeah but I think as a guitar as a guitar player you can see those influences and then he puts his producer hat on and goes this needs to go here and that needs to go there yeah yeah yeah. And, and I think it makes him a really unique musician in that respect and that's that's something I wouldn't have said an hour ago so there cool. you go. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that. Sweet. Oh, God, that was exhausting. <laughs> wow. God, I'm sitting. It's, it's my turn God for I'm the next one. Down. Oh, my gosh. What, what, yeah. what am I going to do? What oh. are you going to do? This is, this is hard to top. Hard to top. Yeah. yeah it's going to have to be like Sealy Dan or Toto or something. That, uh, it probably know, Something I really be. don't like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it could be either one of those. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> So there we go. Stay tuned for the Toto episode next time, guys. Um, <laughs> and then we lost all of our listeners. All oh, sad uh, day. It's more so, than hold the line in Africa. Uh, yeah, it's uh, <sighs> anyway. Well, yeah, I, uh, I think so, I think you just gave me my topic. Anyway, <laughs> okay, great. I'm very intrigued. So, John, we're going to finish this episode as we always do with me asking you, what have you been working on? Oh my gosh. Well, this week uh, was a little bit under the weather. It wasn't the COVID. It's fine. But um, Good. so that definitely cut into things. But one thing I, I have been working on because, because I've been talking about it with my students is intentionally working on, we'll call it improvising, 
with very intentional subdivisions. So sometimes when you're improvising, you kind of end up noodling, right? Yes. But what I've been trying to do is work through it and say, okay, I'm just gonna play, this passage is entirely in triplets. And you'd be surprised how often you wanna to switch to eighth notes or how often you want to mm -hmm. hold a note for a quarter note or a half note or something like that. But no, we're gonna go from triplets and then I'm gonna go to eighth notes and then 16th notes or something like that, you know? So having a very distinct, I, this is what I'm playing next, whether that's written out or whether it's just a very much like, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start in triplets. I'm gonna go to quarter notes, 16th notes, back to triplets. Like, and, and to do that on the fly is a, a little difficult, especially to be super intentional about it. And part of the point for me is smoothing those transition points out because now I have to play 16th notes. And if you're jumping from triplets to 16th notes, sometimes, or vice versa, sometimes your brain has to catch up <clears throat> and things end up a little sloppy. So it's a matter of trying to think about this and smooth out those transitions for those bursts of speed. Okay, yeah. That's, that, so like subdivisions sort of in terms of your playing, just yeah, dividing it in between. That's, that's really interesting and hard to do. It's hard to program your brain if you're in a certain mode. Um, cool. I, 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 Berndt does a lot of stuff on that as well, just in terms of being able to do those bursts by changing up your groupings. Really yeah, interesting. exactly. Sweet. And yourself, <laughs> what have you been working on? Um, I've been trying to transcribe more. Uh, it's it's been a, a thing it's it, just in terms of like putting on random songs just going through some like fairly basic pop songs and trying to figure out the melody because a lot of that stuff would be in keys that I'd not be comfortable with and we've talked about that before mm -hmm. um, in terms of like figuring out these pop melodies and yeah I've been doing it with I, I said it before with um, Ariana Grande stuff and it's like a lot of it's in like B flat or E flat or keys that I or like you know like F minor or stuff that I just wouldn't be comfortable like playing in and just kind of writing it out and I've been using the Lazy Guitarist practice planner because it comes with little tab sections for you to transcribe stuff so that's been interesting that's, oh, been, cool. that's been cool, cool, cool. and I, I find as well like with me if I'm <laughs> transcribing stuff is great because I will, you know, when I'm done, I can come back the next day and I don't have to spend 20 minutes figuring out what I figured out the day before. It's a really stupid thing, but having that visual aid of the stuff that I've already transcribed has been massive for me. But yeah, God, I am exhausted. <laughs> I am princed out. Yeah. Um, Friends, we will be keeping up with our, uh, you know, our effects series. So our next episode will be a mini episode on an effect. Who knows what? We have yet to decide. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's basically it. Send us a message like us on Instagram. You can email us at sharpenthataxe at gmail.com. And yeah, that's basically it. We're really glad you stuck around for this one. This was a long one. But if you're here, we know you're a true fan. You did it. Anyway, you did. Catchphrase. We all did it. Catchphrase. Stay sharp, everybody. We'll see you next time.